0: Hi and welcome to Women's CEO and Reflection. I'm your host, Marisa Jones, and I'm joined by my co-host, Neil Haley. Today's guest is Jennifer Bartkowski. She's the chief executive officer of Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, where she was leading the organizational change to transform Girl Scouts to be the best organization to help girls thrive in the 21st century. She has been with the Girl Scouts since 2009 and throughout her career, she has worked in a variety of organizations, including the United Way of Metropolitan Dallas, American Lung Association of Texas, and as an independent consultant. In 2022, Jennifer was named the Female Executive of the Year and Bronze Stevie Award winner in the 19th Annual Stevie Awards for Women in Business. Welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you, I'm so honored to be here. Um, wow, this is great to have you here. I'm a big supporter of the Girl Scouts. Um, tell me a little bit about how you got into it seems like you do a lot of nonprofit work as well. How did you get into that industry and what led you to, to um, take on the role of CEO?
1: Well, I went to college at Texas A&M University, and I was a member of a co-ed service organization, and I got hundreds of hours of community service each year, and I loved doing the service. I loved going out and helping nonprofits find resources and and develop projects and engage volunteers and all of that. And so I actually went to my advisor. At the time, I think I was an English political science major, and I went to my advisor and said, I love doing this. Is this a job? Will someone pay me to do this? And he said, actually, yes, there's a whole industry in that. And I had no idea. So I went back and got my master's in public administration with a nonprofit
0: management specialty. And I have been doing fundraising and nonprofit leadership ever since. That's fantastic. Um, I actually worked for the Boy Scouts in my last two years of high school, and I was a, a secretary, and I did all of their United Way fundraising for them. I helped them, oh, awesome. helped them run all of that. Um, but I'm a big supporter of the Girl Scouts, and I mentioned just before the call, um, as, a, as a kid growing up, my parents are Sicilian immigrants, and I was not allowed to join any extracurricular activities, including the Girl Scouts, because they knew nothing about it. And I was supposed to be home, uh, you know, because my career goals in life for for my parents was to stay home and be a mom and get married and have kids. Right. So how do you how do you reach out to how do you get um, Enrollment, how do you reach out to get um, exposure and get, I mean, everyone knows who the Girl Scouts are, but what about those little pockets of areas where you can reach out to people in communities who may not be aware of the Girl Scouts because they're uh, perhaps immigrants and uh, so you can include them in your organization's activities. Well,
1: I love that question. First, while everyone knows the Girl Scout brand, not everybody knows what Girl Scouts is all about. People think of us as cookies, camps, and crafts. And (laughs) in actual honesty, we are much more than that. We are cookies. It's the largest entrepreneurship program in the world. It's for girls and Girl Scouts. We are camps, and that's where girls learn mental and physical wellness as well as leadership skills. And we are crafts. Girls want DIY and get their hands dirty and all of that. So we have some work to do to change our brand and our story and our relevance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, We go to where the girls are, and in general, the girls are in school. So um, as you can imagine, COVID was a tough time. We didn't have access to schools, and families weren't putting their kids into extracurricular activities. Um, But today, as we come out of COVID, we're actually reimagining Girl Scouts, because pre-COVID, we had seen a decline in girl membership for 15 years, as had many membership organizations. And post-COVID, we've realized that there are whole communities who don't know us, don't trust us, or don't have access to us. And so we are reimagining imagining how we engage in community, we want to go into communities and not just go out there and say, here's Girl Scouts, take it or leave it. We want to go in and say, We see your assets. We see your traditions and your legacies and what you care about for your girls. And we want you to, we want to help you reach their full potential. And so we have all these, this menu of great opportunities. And we want to co create an experience for those communities who maybe don't know us from their own personal experience, or maybe they don't trust us or have access to us. And we need to show up a little bit differently. So it's an exciting time to be in Girl Scouts. We're 111 years old, but I think a lot about the strategic transformation we're going through. And I think we're becoming the organization for girls today.
0: That's great, and you constantly have to pivot as an organization, but especially one that's over 100 years old, um, and especially one that's geared towards young girls, right, because girls become women, and and the dynamics for women in general have changed over the last 100 years. Um, How would you say it's changed since you started, like from a from from the the type of activities or the values uh, that are instilled in the girls and and the things that you do to drive the organization.
1: You know, I don't think the values have changed. I think um, our foundational skill set or focus is on social emotional learning and providing girls the emotional intelligence. Um, the resilience, the persistence, the grit that they need to be successful. And I think that's been a staple for Girl Scouts for 111 years. And gosh, post-COVID, girls need that more than ever. But since I've been with Girl Scouts the last 13 years, we also identified that our community here in, um, I'm in Northeast Texas, we had a workforce pipeline issue. Women are underrepresented in science, technology, engineering, and math. And our community does not have enough engineers to hire so we actually created a 15 million dollar 92 acre stem center of excellence where girls can come and enter that workforce pipeline so stem became a real focus for us we also identified post-covid and you've probably seen the cdc report that came out in february girls are suffering suffering from mental illness at far greater rates than boys are and at far greater rates than they were 10 years ago in fact um we we are seeing record numbers of suicidal ideation, of mental challenges, of um, girls feeling feeling persistently sad or hopeless. So we launched a mental health initiative, and we're doing much more work around mental health and mental wellness. Um, one of the things that's changed in the last ten years is girls want more out of the outdoor experience, and finally, post COVID, I don't have to explain how important the outdoors is to your mental and physical wellness. So now we're doing a lot more around the outdoor programming and shifting it from how it's always been to a new experience for girls. And then finally, what girls want more than ever right now is belonging and connection. And so we've launched a very significant commitment to equity and inclusion and really trying to create a place of belonging. So in addition to the foundation of what Girl Scouts is all about, which is leadership development and that social and emotional space and learning, we are trying to be relevant to where girls are at this moment, as well as relevant to where our communities
0: are and what our communities need our girls to become. That's so great. You know, when you said a belonging, a connection, everyone knows human connection is so important and good for mental health. The belonging is one thing that um, it surprises me. It comes out a lot in my clients when, and it was something that I um, came up for me when I was doing my own therapy back in, you know, 2010, when I had what I thought was a, you know, mental breakdown because, you know, I had success, but my personal life, I had suicidal uh, ideation and depression because of childhood abuse. And one of the things that came out, one of the top four things that came out was a need to belong, because I never really felt like I belonged anywhere, because I grew up in the Sicilian immigrant family, right? And, and you know, I was considered white. So I had, you know, people made assumptions about my background or whether or not I went to school or college, which, you know, I did it. I went part time, but I never finished Um, and then I was in tech for 30 years. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't always feel like I fit in because it's mostly men. And so that's so important that, that, you know, that is still a value and that's something that you're focusing on, uh, for the girls, um, because having that, that voice also having mentors, right. Um, how do you, how do you ensure that you, I guess, leading to a question, how do you ensure that the girls have enough mentors so that they feel like they can fit in wherever they they aspire to, to grow to. Well, first
1: I will say belonging is just a human emotion. It's a human desire everyone wants that. And what we've identified is post-COVID, after girls spent 18 months to two years in pretty much isolation, they want that sense of belonging more than ever. And social media has also um, contributed to that need to belong because social media helps to make you feel like you don't belong anywhere. And we want to identify places where girls can truly be who they are, right? Girls, you know, go through periods of life where they feel like they're the only one and they're different. And they want to find that sense of belonging and connect that makes them feel safe. So, most Girl Scouts are in a Girl Scout troop with a volunteer who leads that troop. And so, those volunteers truly are mentors. They are the ones who maybe they're not a mom or a dad of that girl, but they're someone that girl can trust. And we want to make sure every girl has someone like that in their lives, whether it's a Girl Scout leader, another volunteer, a camp counselor, someone who's in their world who can assure them that they belong, that they are doing the right things, that they, you know, maybe be a safe space to talk about some of their emotions their feelings and not jump to some sort of conclusion or some sort of action that we might regret. So building that place of belonging is such a priority for us right now. And it's the adults in these girls' lives that can truly help with that.
0: Jennifer, what do you yeah, think the biggest
1: challenge? Oh. Oh, I was going to say, Marisa, real quick. Go ahead. Jennifer, what do you think is the biggest challenge of running an organization like this? Right now, the biggest challenge is that we are 111 years old and we are built on a uh, system of traditions and legacies and processes and policies that many of which do not work for us anymore. And systemic change is incredibly challenging. And so I would say today we are investing in ourselves to make systemic change so that generations of girls in the future will get the programming they need to reach their full potential, but that is not easy. It's some of the hardest work I've ever done.
0: What, what do you think some of your own personal challenges in running this organization and being a CEO, what are some of the things that are new to you that, that you know, you've, you've had to overcome or challenge just from a learning perspective because you've never had to uh, approach it before?
1: Oh, gosh, so much. The last three or four years have been absolutely revolutionary to me and transformational for my leadership journey. Now, I'll start with the beginning of COVID, right? I was a single mom uh, to two kids, one of whom was in college and had to come home for six months, one of whom was a junior in high school who became a immediately isolated in a way that was very harmful to her mental health for 18 months. And I was running a $20 million organization out of my house and I was single. So I was lonely. I was isolated. I was, um, you know, in the same place as many other people were, but I, I felt the mental challenges of that experience. And I had to quickly not only figure out how to use my time, but also figure out how to manage my own mental health and manage my own, um, Like make sure I got enough rest and rejuvenation so that I could do this very hard job of both being a mom and being the CEO. But over the course of the last three years, I've gone on so many leadership journeys. One is my own personal journey around my own mental wellness and ensuring that I get enough rest and take care of myself. That has not been a priority in my life to take care of myself. And post-COVID, it is now a priority or I can't sustain work at this level I think that after the murder of George Floyd, I had to go on a personal diversity, equity, and inclusion journey that as a white privileged woman, I never really felt forced to do before, but I felt as if I was completely disconnected from where the world was after that moment. And I wanted to do the right thing for my own organization. And so I, I, after going through so much learning, I identified, oh gosh, there is systemic racism in our organization, in our community, in our world. And I have the power to make changes to that. So I've been on that journey. I decided we had to reimagine Girl Scouts because post-COVID Girl Scouts was not in a position of strength for the future. So I've introduced disruptive change, um, positive change, I believe, but disruptive change to an to an organization that is 111 years old, that has systemic processes and policies that are difficult to shift. And so I'm having to be a different kind of leader. I've said many times that if I was the leader today that I was four years ago, I could not be successful at my job. It took that kind of evolution of my own leadership to be the right CEO for this organization today. And it has not been without a lot of hard work. It's been exhausting. I've hit barriers and I've hit um, boundaries of my own. I've had to stretch. I've had to stretch the people around me. Um, I'm incredibly proud of my organization, but I'm just equally as proud of myself for being open to the kind of change that I need to go to go through. And I'm not done. I'll never be done. But I'm really proud that I recognize the shift that needed to happen and that I've made that kind of
0: progress. That's Great. What sort of, and I'm sure your kids noticed too. What sort of, uh, on that same note, what sort of expectations have you kind of softened on yourself? And what have you changed with regards to your kids? Since COVID. Yeah. So,
1: um, and ter- in terms of myself over the last three years, you know, I've always been a perfectionist and I've always been a really hard worker. And I, you know, I, I'm one of those weird people who likes to get up at the crack of dawn, like four in the morning and do my work and then exercise and then go to work. And, um, and then I would usually go to events at night and I've really put some boundaries around myself, around sleep, around, um, how much time I'm willing to commit to being in meetings. Um, I am limiting how many after work events I'm willing to do. Um, I'm just having to say, you know what? I've got to have my own time to rest and recover. I cannot go at this pace any longer. And I think a lot of women post COVID um, have, you know, the world came back in a flourish. And we weren't, we lost the stamina and, um, and the energy for the world to be running at that same speed as it was before. So I, I, Personally, I've had to find a new pace at which to work. I've also had to learn to delegate and make sure that I'm using my time for what I'm best at. I consider myself to be the chief storyteller at Girl Scouts of Northeast Texas, and I'm an excellent public speaker, and I am a good fundraiser, and there's certain things that I can do better than anyone, and those are the things I should be doing. And my team is great at a lot of the other things, and they can step up and do do that work. And then for my kids, I think, um, you know, it was interesting. My son was a freshman when COVID hit. He became a sophomore and called me and said, Mom, I'm so isolated here at my university. I really want to transfer to another school where my best friends are. And that way I can have friends and engage with them. And in my prior life, I would have, and and my first reaction actually was, no, we committed to this. We're not failing. We're going to do this. And actually, I, I caught myself in the conversation. I said, you know what? your happiness is more important than any of that. And I did make him adult and trans figure out how to do it himself, which I thought was a good skill for him to learn. But I supported him 100%. And I thought that was really a excellent example of me learning that perfect is not the goal and um, continuing down one path, because it just feels like we should isn't the goal either that we have to be flexible (laughs) Excuse me, and adaptable to what the world is requiring of us in the moment. And if I've
0: learned anything, I've learned that during COVID. That's so great. You know, I used to tell my kids all the time, because they struggled in school, they're super smart, but just you know, the rigidness and yeah. things that they they would bite me on it all the time, like, but it doesn't make sense, mom. Right. And so, and I would always say, just play the game, just play the game till you're done. And and COVID for me was, was uh, and actually just before, and I was like, you know what? You don't have to play the game. Why am I yeah. forcing this on you? You know, because what I really wanted was that. I so relate to that idea. <laughs> Let's not play the game. Let's figure out what's right for us. It's not, the game right. does not dictate how we have to behave. I remember my son telling me just last year too, because he was he was going to quit this job. And I was like, but but, you know, just all these reasons. And he was like, mom you're the one who told me don't stay in a toxic workplace. And I was like, what am I doing? Like, it's a constant reminder, right? Yep. Um, so and it's I, a generational
1: I thing. I think our generation was dictated that we had to do these things and we had to work hard and we had to stick with it. And yeah, you know, there is value in all of those things. And I want my kids to have some stick with it sense, some hard work ethic and all those things. And also to know themselves and be self-aware enough to know
0: what's right for them. Right. Yeah, we have to be easy on each other and, and you nailed it. Not many people have said it, but COVID really made a lot of women just kind of wave, wake up and go, why am I hustling so hard? Why am I yeah. pushing myself so hard? There's so many other ways to do this and do it smarter and not get burnt out in the process. That's right. So we are out of time. Um, oh my goodness. So any part any parting words and where can people find you?
1: Uh, Well, thank you so much for including me. I always love to talk about the journey that I've been on, and I'm hopeful that it speaks to someone. Um, You can always reach me at CEO at gsnetx.org. You can also reach me at LinkedIn or on
0: Facebook, um, and I'm eager to, to hook up and connect with anyone who's listening. Thank you. And I'm so glad you made the time in your busy schedule to meet with me and be on the show. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you. It's not stopping. Oh, there we go. Thank you for listening to Women's CEO in Reflection. To reach out to one of our guests, their contact is in the description of the show. Do you want a total mindset transformation? Apply to Mindset Warrior, the art of intentional thinking, my personal coaching boot camp at Iamamindsetwarrior.com and schedule your call with me today. Thank you.